It's the Garden Forum. Yeah, this is uh, Richard Marks, and uh, I've co-hosted the show for about a year with uh, Kalita Todd, and she's going to be calling in from home tonight, not because she didn't want to get there, but but we have two great guests here today, so we're um, got a little bit more room in the uh, microphone area. So uh, um, we're the Garden Forum, and um, thanks to Robin Martin, who retired this last year, um, we have been doing shows uh, for the past uh, every month, and it's usually been at noon. And as you can see, it's uh, 6 o'clock. And so hopefully we're going to bring you news throughout the year about uh, the gardens and outside the garden and land management. And uh, we've got a great show coming up, and, uh, and it's going to be on mushrooms. Um, but I just wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, our, myself. I'll tell about myself that um, my very first KVR show that I ever did, and I haven't been doing them since that one point, it was in 1978 where um, up on Banner Mountain, I went out and got interviews about direct marketing, the very first farmer's markets um, in, in the state of California. Not the very first, but in the new world when... We didn't have farmer's markets before 1978 in the 60s. And, uh, and so I went out to Ernie Beerwagon and got, him, got a great story from him and two other farmers down in Newcastle. And I had this show that was uh, engineered up at, the, up at Banner Mountain. Uh, and it was produced then, so I haven't been back there. But my history with KVMR are good friends like Amigo Bob, Robin Martin, um, my wife, Annie Marks, was uh, at, out in front here in, with KVMR. And um, after um, a long time, I haven't been to KVMR for actually doing a show. So we just, this kind of fell out into our lap. And Khalid and I said we're going to take this on. And uh, we've been doing it. And, you know, just to cap, recap the whole year, that we had some great shows. Um, we... We had an agroecologist back in uh, February, and Tim Van Wagner showed up also on the following week with uh, the burn co-op and putting fire back on the ground and land management issues. We had um, excellent story of, um, of, of cultivating place. It's um, on the third um, Monday is Jennifer Jewell's program called Cultivating Place, and she's North Public Radio that uh, we have syndicated. And, uh, and it's another little spot that maybe we're going to have a garden show that's locally oriented. And so Sean's and the, and the, uh, the whole management here is uh, making sure that uh, the news is not on right now. And Sean, could you just remind people when the news is on uh, coming up? Uh, yeah, so we're now on Monday through Friday, 8 a.m., Sorry, 8.06 a.m. And then again at 12.01 p.m. Yeah. And then they're going to be doing a weekly news magazine. So covering the, the various stories that they highlight over the week, as well as, you know, famous commentaries and, and uh, poetry from Molly Fisk, you know, Money Matters with Mark Cunaberti, on Fridays from 6 p.m. to 6.30. Yeah. And so just keep track of your schedules and kind of get into the new groove that we have going on here at KVMR. And... Uh, and I just, uh, I think I'll just open with how I met Kalita back at Peaceful Valley Farm. Before it was Peaceful Valley Farm, um, I met their label in a walk-in in Sacramento. And, I, and it had Star Route Farm on the outside, and it was Amigo and Kalita. And, uh, and their little child drawn on the end of, of, of a fruit box. And it was Star Route Farms. And I said, oh, and I kind of, I, I looked at that label. Didn't, didn't think anything about it. And um, in a long story that came after that, that I met up with them, and then they started Peaceful Valley Farm, and um, they wanted me to work with them on it because I was transitioning out of the last thing that I was with. And um, it was uh, definitely working with high school students and teaching them about fruit orchards. And so I came up here with Omega, and we did a Peaceful Valley Farm, and the rest is history about... Amigo's story and being a consultant throughout um, California and the world uh, about organic agriculture. And he rode that wave all through his career. And he was a KVMR disc jockey. So um, and had the garden for him there. And so there's a big void now 
without him around. And um, so we're going to try to fill that void somewhat. And um, it, it's, it's great. And, and Kalita's uh, ready to go. She can maybe add. Hey, Kalita. Hi, everybody. So, yes, this is a whole new world to have gardening show at 6 o'clock on KBMR. Um, we'll give this a try and see what people think. Um, I think the main idea is to have some real local programming at this time of the evening. Um, yeah, so Richie and I go back to Peaceful Valley Farm. We started Peaceful Valley Farms in 1975 and Peaceful Valley Farm Supply in 19, maybe 77. But, uh, and we went on to farm there for a good while and we've stayed friends all this time. And now with this, you know, both Rob and Martin, uh, retiring and, uh, Julia and her mother, I don't have, I don't remember her name, who had a... Uh, uh, Homestead had a Radio Hour, I think it was called that. Yeah. Yeah, Homestead Radio Hour. They retired, and then Amigo passed away. And so we have a real void of the voice of the agricultural world uh, in Nevada County. So we're doing our best to fill that in, and uh, we will have various shows on in the future um the next one i hope to have on i haven't got a confirmation yet is about what is organic these days and what is this new uh thing that people are doing of of it's called real organic or uh what's some other names now how about regenerative agriculture it's kind of right up the alley it's like um, organic is not just organic anymore. It's uh, Costco has everything, and it's sourced all over the world. And again, um, yeah, that's a great show. So I'm really looking forward. And and you might land a, a person that Full Belly Farm, Paul Mueller, and I hope that we get an interview from him. And that's going to be great because it it really needs to be a conversation. And just to segue into this, there's this great movie out now that came through the community, and we want to get it back. Uh, because it's gone from the Del Oro. It's common ground, and it really hits on all the notes. It's, uh, it's definitely an evolution of organic is, is, is common ground. So catch that movie when it does come to our, your local areas. So uh, that's it. So let's, maybe we just have a minute here to touch on what's going on in your garden, Kalita. What's going on the, this week preparing for this rain that's going to come right around the corner here? Right. Well, I went away and took a chance on having a little fall break. So now I'm back and getting the last of my cover crops in, hoping I didn't finish today. I was hoping to finish today, but I didn't. Um, and just making sure that the soil is covered, either through a lasagna bed, which is a, a layering method of cardboard and um, compost and some kind of straw. Uh, other things can be added to it, but that's my main recipe. And then that just helps block the seeding, the, se uh, the weeds from coming and enriches the soil and allows you to just sort of poke into that cardboard in the spring and plant. Yep. I was doing that today. I was putting, I was capping off the before the rain, capping off my beds with a little bit of straw. Leaves is best. Bring the forest into the garden and mm -hmm. some oak leaves. So that was done today. And, uh, yeah, so. Um, Just make sure everything's covered. Yeah. Try not to have bare ground whenever you can. Yeah. So, yeah, 160 pounds of buttercup squash this year, Kalita, um, in a small little area. And that area was composted from the waste product of um, Hartwood Restaurant. And for probably six, eight months, I got all the buckets every week and composted in my area. And I said, and I just forgot about it because it's been almost a year and a half since it's been there, but I've left it dormant. And uh, that, those beds just were very, uh, it, it's getting extremely fertile. And that was some of the best compost sources that I could find uh, at Hartwood. Thank you, Hartwood. And, uh, and that's such a great circle of, you know, taking of what's left over from these organic 
um, restaurants and sometimes not even organic restaurants and then taking it to our gardens and farms, composting it and then bringing it back into the soil. Yeah. What a blessing. Yeah. Complete cycle. And uh, it's it's uh, I gave up that because I have a friend that's raising hogs on that right now. So um, Dan Krebens is enjoying that compost directly to uh, a mammal that's raising uh, uh, pigs. So that, that's yeah, what's happening. So we have, a, we have a bunch of guests. So Kalita, um, you can still stay on the line um, and add anything you want, or you can go off the line. But I think we're going to go with our um, guests here today. So um, thanks for staying home and <laughs> giving up your chair. And I hope everything goes well. And thank you, Kalita. Yes, and I'll listen in. I'm, I know it's going to be a great show, but... I, I don't need to stay on the line. I'm not the mushroom expert, so All I right. look forward to hear what, what people have to say. All right. Good night. Well, thank I'll you. I'll be listening. All right. Okay, bye. So listen, our first guest is going to be Daniel Nicholson. And Daniel Nicholson, I know him through Amigo. I think you work with the Felix Gillet project a little bit in your past, a little bit, yeah. And I know that you're the president at the Yuba uh, Watershed Institute, and you're the president of the uh, board. And uh, maybe you could tell us about your project out there and, and what you do out there and then kind of segue right into mushrooms. But just a little background, yeah. Hi, yeah, good to be here on um, the new gen of uh, the Garden Forum. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's been a good time. We've talked mushrooms on the Garden Forum for many moons. Yeah. And um, through uh, many uh, KVMR studios over the years. Oh, yeah. Well, good. I know. I know you've been doing that. So. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud to be part of a, the little um, nonprofit that could, the Yuba Watershed Institute, where we um, uh, do a lot of uh, sort of um, biological literacy, uh, teaching people about what the land is. Um, it kind of originated through the um, issue of having the public lands kind of get getting sold off, actually, mm -hmm. and basically um, be, being sold to the high, highest bidder, which was a low bid, and um, logged, subdivided, and turned into more houses. And we saw that we had a lot of houses, and we didn't have too much nice forest left, or it was going away um, in the in the um, early 90s when um, the group of citizens on the San Juan Ridge got together and started talking to BLM about this. And, um, and in that uh, group was um, our um, esteemed local poet, Gary Snyder, who had a really great vision for um, mm -hmm. people living with the land, as uh, many of you all know. And if you don't, check him out. Um, Gary Snyder's work is some of the best out there, um, hands down. So uh, this was a chance for him to uh, work with the envisioning of a citizen science group to um, cultivate and bring sustainable forestry and living within a land and living within a landscape. So moving beyond the borders a little bit so that we could all come together to figure out what ecological sustainable forestry might look like for, for us here right now. And so um, being science-based and being um, coalition-based, um, the loggers were invited, everybody's in the table, and we've um, done a lot over the last 30 years and yeah. moved, moved through um, a lot of successes, I would have to say at this point, seeing how um, the um, forest has hundreds, um, maybe close to six, 700 acres treated and being more fire resilient. Mm -hmm. So we saw that uh, fire issue coming. And um, more recently we've been, uh, because of our success stories and our relationship with BLM and the great need for that sort of ability we moved over to this side of the river and have um, current projects in the Deer Creek watershed and on Round Mountain. Yeah, I noticed that on the website. It's not just on the ridge anymore. Yeah, we'd like to stay with the, within the Yuba watershed, and we have a, our, our home base project is on the San Juan Ridge. Yeah. But we've been able to help out our neighbors here and yeah. um, come up with some more projects that create resilient forests, yeah. hopefully. So when you're out in the field, and by the way, the two times I called you, you were out in the field. What were you doing those days? <laughs> um, I, I, I still do a lot of um, uh, um, ecological restoration work on, on the, uh, for, for, for a trade as well, and, um, yeah. and prune fruit trees on some days. And um, sometimes I'm consulting at a farm. Um, you know, a funny story to bring Amigo back into all of this is, yeah. you know, it was probably one of our first 
um, mushroom events that we had with Yuba Watershed Institute sponsoring that these three dark hairy, hairy guys, you could barely see their faces. They had just bright, dark hair um, and big hats. And I'm like, Where, what are these guys doing? You know, I, you know we, had, we had all types at the foray, but these guys were particularly, um, you know, fabulous furry freak brother style. <laughs> and um, it was quite um, intriguing. And, and, and they ended up being the nicest guys. And um, I never lost touch. We became the best mushroom hunting buddies yeah. since because um, Amigo Bob was one of our great supporters at the um, What year was Warren. that? Could you just help me out with I'm that? I'm going to say it was like around 96. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Early on in our, um, um, uh, what we call um, c- citizen science learning. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot to learn about mushrooms. So um, we, we took our model from the, um, some of the successful fa- fungus fairs from the, um, the, big, the big one, the one that's been ongoing, pretty much the only oldest one in the state is the Mycological, San Fran- Mycological Society of San Francisco event. And their fungus fair has been going on for more than 50 years. I went to that. It was my first experience to the fungus fair in the Bay Area, and it was in the late 70s. Nice. Yeah. And uh, that blew my mind because none of us knew about the mushroom world like they did, of course, associated with the redwood forest on the north coast and the rainforest where there's a huge flush in that region. So coming back to the Sierras, I guess you're out in the field and you've studied mushrooms or you just started observing or what was your story about getting into the relationship with fungi in forests? I, you know, it's, I've been in love with being a naturalist my entire life, you know, came out of high school running hot on the idea of studying nature in its fullest extent Mm -hmm. and studied the heck out of plants, worked with my friend Eric Beckwitz, worked with um, the Yuba Watershed Institute. And um, the first exposure to um, to to really kind of the professional what turned me on with the fungi was um, a Yuba Watershed Institute event that Jerry Bloom had a friend um, from Berkeley come up and this professor took all the mushrooms that we had collected on our little walk mm-hmm. in, in a small forest in over a few hours and just sorted them by spore color. And I said, spores have different colors? I had no idea. And, and then she just managed to just casually sort all of the fungi that we had found and said, oh, it looks like we've got about 80 kinds here. But it, 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 I was hooked because it was um, this game uh, of um, sorting that, um, that where we saw, you know, some people call um, nature a great green wall, and then you study it, and then you see and discern it, and all of a sudden you can see an infinite structure yeah. once, you, once you get past that wall look. You can compare and contrast with seeing all the different species there, and all of a sudden they fall into categories that, that by, by um, gills and, and all the kind of the characteristics of a mushroom. And so that really is an educational tool to see so many mushrooms and then break them down. Of, of where they fit. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience, and we thought that what the Fungus Fair of San Francisco and what, um, uh, what some of these talented naturalists were doing was something that our community needed, and so we've uh, been doing it ever since. So we're, we've done 25 of these since that original event. Um, I don't count that one. Yeah. But um, there's a wonderful field campus up at the Sierra in the Sierra Buttes area near Bassett's, it's the San Francisco State University field campus. Yeah. And I've taken that course on fungi, which is a week long course, uh, five times. Yeah, what time of the year is that? Um, well, the mushrooms in the mountains get yeah. going about June. So we usually start yeah. about the first week in June. Yeah. And they're on their like third or fourth instructor over there. Yeah, Robin Martin has spoke about that uh, that camp that you go to. Yeah, it's um it's a very uh, neat place, and it, I'd say that they're moving with the times um, in the sense of they're they're having more artistic. It's not so sciencey as maybe it was yeah. originally when it was sponsored by the um, San Francisco State Engineering Lab or whatever. Yeah, so art meets science. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um it's a good it's a good hybrid and yeah. um, a, a, a place to go deep with yeah. with studies. So. Um, you're, it's, it's perfect timing. The mushroom show just turned out to be we're in mushroom season right now. And what's coming up uh, in December? Tell us about 
what people out there in the community can do? Is there any openings? Is, how do you get hooked up with the mushroom foray on the December 2nd and 3rd? Yes, um, December 2nd and 3rd, we are hosting our 26th annual fungus foray. And the traditional walk sold out yesterday, <laughs> ah. um, which is wonderful. Um, we have a small, intimate venue this year, and um, we're looking forward to our small class load. Uh, I suppose there could be some volunteer shifts for people that really feel like they need to be there. Yeah. And um, for people that don't want to hike and uh, or maybe just want to see a, a nice speaker series, mm. um, come join us on Sunday where all of the collections will be sorted. Yeah. And so this will be at the Oak Tree School on the San Juan Ridge. Yeah. Um, if anybody's interested, I suppose we should probably tell people how to find out about this. Yeah, we, we're, we're definitely going to do that before you get off. And then, you know, this show in the future, Sean, we're going to have a way that we can post all of our events somewhere on a Facebook page or something along those lines for the Garden Forum because people can't write things down all the time and want to yeah. know about it. So we're going to be doing that in the future. It's just a... But uh, just uh, so S Sunday would and so people that aren't on the walk and going on, that's kind of sold out. It is. But um, just so people know, we will do it again next year. And um, yeah, and it's um, something that people look forward to. How about to. the speaker people? Can you go to see the, the, the talks? I, yeah, the halls, um, you know, small. So and we so have we have we have our you know, amount that can fit into the hall. Got and it. Sold. So it's, it's wired right now. For, yeah. yeah. So, Saturday. So is it's closed. okay. Next year, folks out there, and you got to get on it and get on the, how do they get on the mailing list with the Yuba River, Yuba Watershed Institute? That's right. YubaWatershedInstitute.org. Yeah. There it is. There it is. So that, that's how you guys can get in touch with, um, and they have, they do a lot of great things. I've heard many good things about it. It's a, it's a watershed away from us. I'm actually two watersheds. I'm on the Bear Watershed. And, uh, but it's uh, a, a great thing. So I know, all, I know your board members, you know, Bob Erickson's on that. So it's, it's great. So, yeah. So anything else about how fungi, what's the current cutting edge stuff? Not just about the harvesting of the mushrooms, but how mushrooms roll in the, in the systems of forestry and soils. And, uh, um, yeah, it's an, it's an exciting time for um, mycology, um, the study of mushrooms. Um, we, I, I want to add, it was a small um, part of this, that part, what the investigation that we do at this event, I called it citizen science. Yes. So you've got 10-year-olds um, and 6-year-olds and 70-year-olds all collecting fungi for the team here. And the yeah. team is bigger than any uh, university, any academic institution could ever hope to have. In other words, you could have a team of scientists go out every day for a year and never get what the um, citizen science groups, particularly in this state where we're fairly organized, ha have they been able to create a mushroom map, if you will, yeah. and an understanding where there was none. You got to understand the other reason that we did this event was there was no understanding of what we had here yeah. and the names were all wrong. So, for example, yeah. um, there's 70,000 names of species um, known in the world right now. Um, there's about 2,000 in the state. There's probably more like 10,000 mushrooms growing out there. So there's like 80% of the mushrooms in the state and in the world that we don't have names for yet. And yeah. We're talking about the big stuff. We're not talking about the little soil ones. Um, so, it, so it is an exciting time for um, well, they're a secret of little creatures below, living below the surface most of their life, and that's the, the fungi, only fruit, and that's the reproductive process. And uh, we don't get to... It's, it's a mystery. It, humans have always had a mystery about what's growing below the surface. It's, they, are, they are mysterious. And, um, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost... Um, it's, it's still be, it still blows our mind. Um, you know, it takes a lifetime to kind of understand yeah. the patterns, and and you still you know it's it, it it's taking a village to understand them. Yeah. How about the communication between species? Uh, that that is really exciting to me of how mushrooms move move nutrients throughout the system below the earth in the mycelium, most likely. Um, oh, good stuff. Um, yeah, I suppose a lot of people don't understand that, um, particularly some of the stories of say an orchid that um an acloriferous orchid we, we call a um mycoheterotroph now that's a f mouthful but it means that it's it, it has it's a mushroom um feeder and it is taking the um 
nutrients, this, this orchid with no green chlorophyll can't make its own food, and it's borrowing nutrients from a truffle, a rhizopogon. Yeah. And then that truffle is borrowing its nutrient, ex- has that nutrient exchange with a tree in the same forest. And those trees are fusing together. So um, it's, it's not mythological. It may sound like an Avatar movie, mm. but it's very much um, happening, and it's so cool. And we've been able to drop um, little bits of um, radioactive isotopes and just track these patterns. And, yeah. just, and so I, I love hanging out with the scientists who are doing that work. And um, it's so cutting edge. And some of the people in Berkeley and University of Hayward and San Francisco State are doing the work. So um, I just am humbled to be able to yeah. hang out with these people. And that's what I suppose the, the ratio of uh, professors to um, participants at this event will be something like 20 to 1. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It, it, you know, a few years ago, there weren't many people. Um, when you, you see the biology department when you go to a university, but you never saw a mycology department. And it's just um, it, not many people. It's, it's not been that. Uh, it's, it's, it's getting its play right now. Or a sustainability <laughs> department. We're, we're making some headway in the academics. <laughs> right. And Stamus' work and some of the things that he's put out has gone mainstream. And everybody's... Uh, kind of hooked up with the whole mushroom idea. And uh, the way I got into it lately is definitely, I want to give a plug for, um, you got this book. It's, it's uh, Christopher Hobbs's book. He's one of your buddies. I, I, need to get, I need to get the new version. I've got some older Chris Hobbs medicinal mushroom books, but his new one yeah. looks fantastic. Yeah. Chris Hobbs is a fantastic Sierra resident. He's a good teacher. Um, and I took it, it was online during COVID and uh, I took a seven week course. Mm-hmm. Um, every Monday, and uh, it's mostly, his title is Medicinal Mushrooms, The Essential Guide, and Christopher Hobbs, and uh, he he, he just broke it down, he's a great teacher, he's got five chapters, everything from, you know, especially the compounds that are behind the the beta-glucans of how it stimulates the immune systems, and uh, and all your work, Dylan, that's sitting here too, is all those uh, cultivars that he's actually making uh, will Certain ones have high beta-glucans, like turkey tail, mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they're uh, used in all kinds. And other places in the world that he brought out are doing much more studies, especially in Asia, uh, with, with using turkey tail and, uh, and the like with uh, cancer research. So um, it's just a big field in many, many ways. So um, it, tell us just quickly about coming up, the, the event that... Uh, who was one of the best speakers that you've brought there? In well, um, so on Sunday, which is, I guess, what's, what's available. I mean, we do have our science advisor is Dr. Brian Perry, who um, is of a, of a tradition of um, great professors. And he's going to talk on bioluminescent fungi on uh, Saturday. So we're really looking forward to his presentation there. Yeah. Um, we will have, um, and then on Sunday, for people that really want to get serious about it, I, f- I feel like it's fun to throw lots of information out. So we're using... Um, um, uh, uh, we're going to have a microscope workshop, a crash course on microscope use, and I'm sure there'll be some cool slides up on that, and perhaps we'll be able to get a projector yeah. tied into the microscope. And Alan Rockefeller is one of our um, kind of, um, well, he's like me. Um, we've been studying fungi about the same time, and we don't have a, a formal academic training, but we've been working with the mushrooms long enough that we call ourselves mycologists yeah. anyways. Well, I'll, I'll give you a degree in it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I've, yeah, I've, I've done my work. Um, I've done my foots. I've, I've, um, I've worked for the Forest Service. I've studied them um, extensively. And, so, and I've touched a lot of the rare mushrooms that go to the herbaria. I've, I've, I'm good with my, my naming myself as such. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's great. And um, what's it look like in terms of it, after this rain? Uh, we're looking for timing. would be great to have a rain just before this yeah, it's always good to keep things wet. Um, you know, I was in Penn Valley today, and it was getting a little dry on the hillsides, yeah. but then still wet in the um, in the valleys. But um, yeah, up in um, the Camptonville and um, the San Juan Ridge, we get a lot of rain. Uh, yeah. We get more rain. It seems like the more north you go, the more wet it gets for yeah. a good run anyways, until you hit Alaska or something. So well, we're going to be plenty wet, um, and it's a fantastic early start. So all those little mushroom hyphal threads are running around the ground, yeah. moving um, wherever it has gotten ample moisture already. Yeah. 
And yeah, we've got plenty of time. Was and more last rain year a great year because of all the moisture that we had? Did it did it come in December? Well, like I said, it takes a lifetime to understand a mushroom pattern, yeah. fruiting pattern, and. Um, what seemed to be a hypothesis last year, why it wasn't that great, yeah. was because the um, the drought. And so the, the, the tree-fungal relationship was there, um, but the trees weren't giving it up. They didn't have the sugars to spare because they had just gone through a brutal drought, as we all remember. So, um, so the, many the large mycorrhizal species, yeah. which is the ones that grow with the trees and the ones that people like to eat, particular, or a lot of them anyways, the other ones are saprophobes, and they were doing great. Oyster mushrooms were all over the place. Yeah. Um, but it, the ones that grow with the mushroom roots, which are some of our famous ones um, for edibles, weren't, weren't yeah. really present. Yeah, it's just they were here, but not. So many variables. It's, it's never just temperature and moisture. It is all these... Um, and and it's and this is great. I, I really love the idea of citizen science. And and now with everybody with a device to with iNaturalist, anybody can learn so many things. And yes, iNaturalist is fantastic. And what we're we're using, we have three or four people from the um, fundus, the fungal diversity survey, um, who will be collecting DNA. Which is we've talked about how mushrooms look and we, how we can sort them. But to go to the next level, we yeah. found that we needed to actually start having a DNA footprint of each of these fungus. And so our, our um, group and everybody will be part of science. They'll so, be part of these right. specimens that will be becoming part of the mushroom map of what, what is known in the universe. Yeah, and going, so, going deeper with uh, genetic information. And, yeah. uh, and you have a lab that you hooked up with. And Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. Well, good. Daniel, thank you so much. And, it's good to uh, be here. Thank you. So here's our next uh, guest. Um, and I met, I met Dylan Lynch um, from my niece who r ran the uh, Grass Valley Farmer's Market. And Dylan w was working and bringing in, had a booth, and he sold mushrooms at, at, the, at, at the market. And so she said, hey, I, I've been invited to go to um, uh, a shiitake log uh, class, and, and, and uh, I have to cut some logs. And, and, and my niece, Jade, who runs the, <laughs> the uh, Camille Cafe down the road here at, uh, from KVMR, um, she says, I, well, I've got the chainsaw. So I cut up a whole bunch of logs, brought them over to Dylan. So I got the class. He, we traded oak logs from the Snowmageddon there was a lot of lot of oak on the ground, and so um, we I turned I um, cut a bunch of bunch of logs, brought them over there. I had a shiitake class, and it was actually it was just before the snowbageddon. Now I recall I cut the logs because they had a tree down, but then I took the class, and then I was ready for all the logs on the ground. That, sorry, I, I got that down now, and uh, and and one thing I learned about them is to 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 grow them that the plant the oak puts out a repellent some kind of barrier so that spores will not um inundate a, a wounded tree and uh dylan could you tell me about that in a little bit about because you told me that i said you have to leave those logs on the ground for a couple of weeks so yeah so <clears throat> um yeah, we did the sh shiitake log class, and one thing that I feel like a lot of people imagine without knowing any difference is, like, you know, mushrooms grow on rotting logs, so, of course, you want to inoculate, like, a rotting log to start growing your own shiitake at home. But in reality, yeah, the trees have, like, almost an antifungal, like, defense system while they're living. Um, so then if you want to use this log to inoculate shiitake, for say, or oysters or something yourself, it's best to cut it down or like have it fall and be fresh more or less. And then you give it like a few weeks up to a month. Um, and then this natural defense will die off. And then <coughs> before any spores that would naturally be floating around, um, kind of move into this slowly dying log, that's like the prime time to inoculate that log yeah. with the spawn of your choice. Yeah. So, after that, I, uh, I just like to remind you that uh, Dylan Lynch is uh, with the, he's got his new company and it's called Grass Valley Mushrooms. And I just saw your delivery at the Communal Cafe of all these beautiful oysters, uh, oyster mushrooms uh, about a half hour ago. So she, you're 
you're in business on your own with a new company, and um, and how's that going? Yeah, um, yeah. So I've been cultivating um, to sell mushrooms here in the Nevada County area for like three years now, and um, yeah, just recently, um, kind of doing my own thing now. We're Grass Valley Mushrooms, and it's going good. You know, we've are very lucky in this area that there's a lot of restaurants that utilize gourmet mushrooms and buy locally versus you know getting them shipped in from somewhere else a little bit outside of town so yeah it's been great we um provide for a lot of the restaurants here in town and then you know like briar patch and a couple other little stores um but yeah so what got me into growing mushrooms i guess in the first place though was more or less a protein source that i could grow in my garden and so i wasn't really eating much meat at the time and I was like growing vegetables and reading a lot of books about you know permaculture techniques and whatnot and it just seemed like there wasn't much information out there in those books at least that I was looking at um, about cultivating some mushrooms in your garden which I heard somewhere or another that it was possible Mm -hmm. so I kind of started doing some research and found one book actually that I really liked um, was Chad Cotter's book, The Organic Mushroom Farming and Micromediation. And it's basically a book where, you know, he's a mushroom cultivator. I think he's in North Carolina, uh, somewhere on the East Coast. But um, he has just all sorts of like low tech techniques um, for cultivating mushrooms, like at home. And he, you know, also all the way up to like growing morels and things that are considered to be like harder to do. Um, when you're talking cultivating mushrooms because as of now there's only a very small number of mushrooms that you know people have figured out how to actually cultivate versus the amount of mushrooms out there like Daniel was talking about so yeah that was what got me into the road that I'm on now on actually like growing these mushrooms and then this community has been very responsive, I feel like, with like their interest of like also wanting to like add these mushrooms into their gardens. So lots of people, yeah, have yeah. come up over the years and yeah, been they, I, uh, Garden Giant Strophoria is a uh, is a is a friendly, um, easier, and 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 I think probably the entry level for all people to make this make the process easy for people, to at least get some success going. And then once they're success, they want to go into it further. But uh, Garden Giant would be a recommended one for uh, people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Garden Giants are great. Um, the King Strephoria, Strephoria, um, they're a mushroom that likes interaction with microbes that are present in soil. So you don't have to worry about sterilization as much as we do in our labs growing some of the other mushrooms like Lion's Mane and um, you know, the oysters are pretty vigorous as well, so they'll also do well out in your garden. So out of all the mushrooms, I think, you know, oysters and garden giants are great ones to start with. The shiitakes are great for logs, but might be a little trickier and take a lot longer to get to the fruiting point, um, which is, you know, the way I like to think about cultivating mushrooms is that it is similar to <coughs> cultivating vegetables and other plants in your garden but it's just the little learning curve of like what the mushrooms actually like and what to expect and then once you kind of start working with them and see these differences um then it's not too much different than growing some tomatoes in your backyard yeah Yeah, it it's a whole new thing i mean it's like uh, for me uh, i know about planting seeds and i know when they come up i know their germination comes up in um, it, it's, it's a different world and, and you have to be patient and you're having to look at things that um, and you're having to give them the right kind of food and it's, uh, and it's uh, enough energy left in either straw or all kinds of you know, wood chips um, just a, a, so there's lots of information on there and our next guest is going to tell us about who their teacher is and it's YouTube and YouTube <laughs> is quite helpful now for people in growing <coughs> mushrooms would you say that's true oh yeah I mean there's so much information out there um, great videos on people doing like backyard garden beds but for mushrooms and yeah there's you know the basics are out there but I think uh, you know I'd like to encourage everybody to give it a shot because 
I feel like it's kind of a missing factor in home gardens is like, you know, throwing some oysters and garden giants in the mix. Next thing you know, you have another protein source just coming right out of your garden. And yeah. I'd like to mention, you know, like a lot of mushrooms, like the protein levels, like compared to like meat, for instance, are relatively the same. And, you know, there's some variables depending on how fast the mushroom grows or like the species, but they're just such a great source yeah. of protein and you can just grow them yeah. a lot easier, I think, than raising, say, a cow. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, Christopher Hobbs does bring up a lot of that about the protein source and the fiber. Um, it's just there's so many attributes for eating mushrooms all the time in your diet. And I think it for the home gardener, it's just another piece that could be added to um, growing. And um, I think it's just, it's a, it's a great thing. That's what I'm doing right now. I have a bunch of logs that have been flushing. Um, and I, have to, I had to learn about it the first year. So that shiitake project, I've got to add a couple of flushes. That in, and, it, and they don't start flushing. Flushing means to fruit. And um, you have to be patient. It was 18 months. As, yeah. as you told me, I had to wait that long. And so I, had, I almost forgot about them. And, uh, but they've been colonizing. And, and, and it's really, I'm just watching the different uh, uh, variables with the rain and the, and the temperature change and what causes that. And uh, playing around with soaking them sometimes. So, uh, so anyway, I'm... Yeah, I mean, no, there's a lot of... The logs are great. I mean, I feel like a lot of people look towards the logs as like somewhere to go first when trying to cultivate mushrooms at home but like you said the waiting period is yeah. very long and i think there are benefits to using like garden giants or oysters because not only will you get mushrooms and see them faster but like they're also helping with your soil structure and water retention you know they're feeding the microbes to improve your soil ecology yeah. and then you know they're if you use a bunch of wood chips, say, on the pathways in your garden, you can inoculate that with the garden giants, and then it's like you're getting your weed suppression, and then you're getting your garden giants just grow where you're walking, and then also it's just building the soil that it's creating yeah. during this decomposition. You, you got a workshop on the, on the horizon? Because, I mean, I le learned a couple, you, you had them a couple years ago, so... Uh. Yeah, I mean, this spring we'll definitely host another workshop. Like, I, I really like pushing towards the low-tech garden like mushroom gardening yeah. cultivation workshops because um, yeah they just have a lot of benefits and I think it's like something that could help around the world you know with like yeah. food security and financial security in places where there's limited resources like you can use these byproducts to grow some food medicine yeah. and you know yeah. help the community so the next guest here is going to be you you've motivated both me and <coughs> my friend Scott Woodland and Bonnie uh, Woodland um, and they're going to be on the air here, and you've motivated him because he came out for Strophoria, uh, and then one thing led to another, and they're on fire with uh, mushroom growing, and I think they're on the air. Um, yes. Is that, uh, is that Scott and Bonnie on there? Yes, it is. We're here. Hi, Richie. Hi, Hi. Richie. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, Dylan and Daniel are here. You guys kind of know both those characters. Oh, yeah. right. Hey there, Scott. And so uh, you blew my mind the other day when I came over and you invited me. It was perfect timing on Thursday. I went over there and uh, saw what you guys were up to, and you told me the little mini story of going out to see Dylan and getting some strophoria to grow in your garden. And then uh, the next thing you know, you were going home with a bunch of uh, half-spent blocks, and you took them home, and you really took care of them, and there was still some mycelium left, and you got them to flush in their garden area. And... And uh, you guys were on fire. And then, Bonnie, you took it to a whole new level. Uh, is, that, <laughs> is this true? And so uh, yes. tell, tell us about uh, what you're doing out there. To, and, and, and I think the ease of it and, and make, it, make it comfortable for people. Uh, where do you start? Uh, and, and thanks for Dylan getting them going. Right. Thank you, Dylan, very much. This is Bonnie. Um, I, I was definitely inspired by you, and I thought, wow, what you're doing is so big, it's impossible for me to do that, but how can I shrink it down into my kitchen? So I started watching videos, and I went down, like, all these rabbit holes on videos on how to grow mushrooms on YouTube, and there's so much free information. So it was amazing, and I, and I got to see, hey, I could probably do this, and I ordered a block from um, online from Back to the Roots. 
where it was ready and you just bring it in, open it up and you spray it and all of a sudden you're growing mushrooms right in your house. And I thought, I don't want to do that. So, you know, I got focused and what I wanted to focus on was medicinal and also a food source. You know, we wanted to give up a little meat and have a little more protein and this was an excellent way to do it and it's wonderful. And before all of this, all I ever knew about mushrooms is they were all good on pizza. (laughs) I'm really learning and I've become this enthusiast about mushrooms. And I think one of the things that a person should do is get an education first and get a focused goal about what do you want to do with mushrooms? What do you want to learn? And then a lot of, maybe not a lot, but some people have the equipment right in your own home to do it. You know, if you can, you have your pressure cooker right there. If you have a seal a meal or a food saver, you have a way to close your bags. There's just a lot of things that you might have. And I I don't recommend that people run out and buy all of this expensive stuff because it is an investment in time and and different things like that. So you got to kind of try it out and see if you like it. And I did find I did find out that you can go as low tech as going to the supermarket and buying those bags of instant ready rice, you know, like Ben's original bags of rice. Buy the culture online if you wanted to and inoculate them and you can grow some mushrooms right out of a bag of rice, which is pretty fascinating. Did you learn not as did you learn? Did you have a YouTube video to help you through the steps? I did, and that's what's so amazing. It's like having instant teachers out there. Yeah. And I did want to. Um, I did find a fellow that I took on as a, a mentor. He's called the Renegade Mushroom fellow. You know, Renegade Mushrooms, and um, you can watch all his YouTubes by free. But you can also sign up on his Patreon account for not very much a month, and it's like having a mushroom buddy in your back pocket mm-hmm. to help you with all your questions and what you might need to know and what do you do about this and, and there were definitely a lot of questions come along <laughs> on the learning curve i'm pretty low <laughs> low tech and i throw the spent bundles that we got from dylan's into a hay bale or underneath some wood chips but bonnie became the scientist and um set up a little teeny uh, tent and yeah my martha tent <laughs> right yep i got that going and first i was just doing it out of you can get sterilite buckets and make like little tubs to grow your mushrooms and all online you can look it up so you can go as cheaply as you want to start trying to put them in your diet and just have this wonderful adventure and relationship with mushrooms or you can go you know high tech and more expensive yeah i could i could i can see you going someplace with this and in fact you guys are always about teaching what you're learning uh to other people so keep that uh going for other gardeners to I'd like to see Dylan have some more workshops that uh, out for the public and gardeners out there that want to learn about that. And there's only so much you can learn on YouTube. It really is getting right. getting real with the real materials and looking at the materials and knowing how to source the materials for. Uh, and so that's going to be our local future too. So we'd like right. to uh, you guys uh, keep, keep the Garden Farm will announce any of your events that are coming up. So. Hoping to be a clearinghouse of really cool things. So, um, and I am interested in teaching yeah, about mushrooms. And, I knew, and, and, and you know, I gotta tell the people about this one. Is that you're an artist too? You have beautiful artwork, and tell tell us about the little uh, clay sculptures that you have made, and what's coming oh, out. Yeah. The orange cordyceps are coming out of yeah. the, the head, and it, it, they're beautiful. <laughs> so, are those just your work that you're because you're doing mushrooms? You're doing art also with it, right? Right. Yep. I kind of went a little crazy about mushrooms. I started painting paintings about mushrooms, and then I started making these little buddies. You know, they're probably maybe 10 to 12 inches high and they're all handmade collectors and the mushroom comes out their head and I make them with upcycled things, you know, materials I get from thrift stores and old things and um, I made a cordycep one. He's pretty fascinating. I know the cordycep one, my my son who was telling me about, he didn't know much about mushrooms but he's an athlete kind of guy and he's always wanting to know. So 
cordyceps is uh, lots of athletes. It's getting a lot of play with athlete athletes. Is that correct, Thanks, Dylan? Correct. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are taking it like pre-workout and or activities, you know, for endurance, energy. Yeah, yeah. Circulation. Right. Yeah. So I think that your little clay sculpture would love to go to the mushroom foray up on the ridge. <laughs> he would love to be, be be seen there. It would be great to have an art piece. We have a mushroom kitsch section, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It, it, it repeats itself every year and, and grows. I know. Well, we're you never art, know. art meets citizen science. Well, right, good. right. So what varieties are you uh, enjoying growing, um, being uh, a newbie at this? All of them? Well, I have <laughs> I have 20 different, about 20 different cultures, but some of them are repeats from different vendors because some cultures come really good and some are kind of mediocre. And so it's like oyster, rishi, shiitake, lots of different oysters, mayatake, enoki, and cordyceps. My favorite, lion's mane. Lion's mane, right. Although the garden giants are really tasty. Yeah, they're just like meat. We love them. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I tell you, this is uh, this is this is great. When I saw your place, I did, had no idea. I think we saw each other, Scott, in the summer, and you showed me some pictures. I wasn't able to really look at it on your small screen of your device, and then I got there and I kind of got the big picture. And uh, it's it's great work that you're doing there. So um, I look forward well, we to. Love- yeah, we love going to Dylan's uh, compost pile and right. and scoring some of his uh, spent blocks, yeah. bringing them home and spreading them all over our watershed yeah. and in our garden and our backyard. So thank yeah. you guys for being inspirations for us right. and getting us on the path. Thank well, you, thank I tell you. you what, the apples that I picked up there, um, both Dylan and Daniel are going to get some from you. So um, right. that you've been, yeah, yeah. So they're in my box here at the, at, right. at the studio. So uh, nice. really thanks for um, sharing with us about that. And uh, Scott and Bonnie, I hope this is successful for you and I want you to share it with all your friends and in our community. So um, as it Thank develops, you. it's Thank cool. You. Yeah. Thank you. You guys have time right. for one? Bye, bye guys. Do you have time for one more um, yeah. cultivation tip? Yeah. Um, so you talked about morels in the labs being really tricky. Well, we live in a place where there's natural morels and there's some tricks to growing them here. Um, so uh, particularly um, the, um, uh, um, the landscape morels love to grow on wood chips. So conifer wood chips at our elevations and actually down to the valley floor. They grow on conifers. Um, they grow on conifer wood chips, this particular oh, species. Yeah. Um, there's actually a couple of species that um, show up in, in that. It's, and they're not a complex. There's a couple. They, they split the morels into like about seven or eight kinds in California. It's, it's another one of these amazing, the, the exciting naming stuff is, is, is it's game on right now. But yeah, these landscape morel will grow on the wood chips. So you spread your wood chips on your pathways, um, not too close to the house because it's an extreme fire hazard. And about a year later, if there's an adequate moisture, they'll grow out of the wood chips. Pretty cool. Yeah. If you live in the conifer zone, like above Nevada City or at Nevada yeah. City, and you do small burn piles and you move those around the forest right. and keep an eye out and you live in, in the fir zone, you might find black morels, which I, are vocal. I was just reading about that before I came in. Richard Johnson's book, local uh, uh, tribal chairman of the Nevada City Rancheria, and he talked yeah. about after fires is the the native people here after fires they encourage underneath oaks and that's where they got the flush i think of morels and Uh i I don't know he doesn't know the species because there's a few gaps in the resume but uh there there definitely was mentioned there 15 varieties in local nevada city area were harvested that he could ascertain so so uh have some mushrooms joe